Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Welcome to this special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mater in Lafayette. And I'm Peter Rashuti in New Orleans. Normally, we're the hosts about to lunch in our respective cities, but during the course of the current public health crisis, we're joining forces to bring you a statewide look at what's happening in the world of business and finance. We're sharing this current crisis with the rest of the country and much of the world. So some of what we're looking at is big picture stuff to try and make sense of what's going on globally and nationwide. But primarily, we're focused on how this current health crisis affects our local economy and our personal finances here at home. Now, normally, we're very conscious of the differences between our three areas of the state, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Acadiana, but we're going through this crisis together. And I think you're going to find, as we explore the challenges facing us, that at least for right now, we have more in common than separates us. One of the things we have in common is none of us are actually out to lunch. We're all quarantined in our respective homes. Normally, I'd be hosting out to lunch Baton Rouge at Mansur's on the Boulevard. While Mansur's is closed for dining, they're doing pickup and delivery. You can get a number of Mansur's signature dishes. Your favorite one is probably available. The best way to enjoy a meal from Mansur's is to give them a call at 225-923-3366. In Lafayette, the restaurant that hosts us for Out to Lunch Acadiana, the French Press is doing curbside takeout. You can also get meals delivered directly from the restaurant or through Waiter and Grubhub. The French Press now has a new family dinner menu. You can reach them at 337-233-9449. In New Orleans, our regular out-to-lunch restaurant, Commander's Palace, is closed for now, but they're intending to reopen for pickup and delivery next week. You can find out more by going to their website, commanderspalace.com. If you live outside of Baton Rouge and everything you know about the city comes from what you hear or see on the news, you'd be forgiven for thinking that nothing goes on here but politics. That's far from the truth, and it's the reason the slogan of the Baton Rouge area chamber is, there's more to Baton Rouge than you might think. For starters, there are more than 1,500 businesses and organizations that are members of the chamber. The function of BRAC is to support those member businesses, help them grow, and make Baton Rouge such a great place to do business that other people will be attracted to start or move companies here. But what does a chamber of commerce do when there's no commerce? Let's put that question to the president and CEO of the Baton Rouge area chamber, Adam Knapp. Adam, welcome. Thanks for being here. And and I assume the current circumstances aren't something you and most of your folks at BRAC ever envisioned. How are you navigating this almost shutdown of the of the of yeah, the city? Yeah, the, you know the metro region. I think I want to come back to what you said a second ago, Stephanie. That uh, that commerce is shuttered. I think what you see is. Uh, many of the businesses still working in, in a different fashion than they had before um, and trying to find their path forward, not necessarily trying to stop commerce. And I want to make sure we, we distinguish that because what, what is so important right now is that we are finding ways to keep people employed across this economy uh, in our region and across the, all of Louisiana right now. Uh, and that's what I think all of us in our economic development organizations are focused on in different ways is trying to make sure that uh, information is getting out to business owners is about how they can get through this period. Uh, and then for those who have been personally affected as individuals, that they find ways to get information about 
uh, how the, the government temporary assistance can help them through this through this period. So let's drill down a little bit. What like on this day of the crisis, what what are y'all focused on at BRAC? What what are the main things that you're working on right now in furtherance of, of those you know goals? That's great. Yeah. So today, three things we're we're pushing out uh, as far as information. One, uh, we actually have been trying to determine how you figure out the bottom of the economy uh, and to be able to measure when it's turning. And economic indicators are hard to come by when the government that supplies them is mostly doing that at a national level on a monthly basis. So we've been putting together uh, and, and with work with a lot of other partners, a weekly indicators dashboard that we're releasing today, which is our first real look at something that gives you a way to see perhaps the shadows on the wall to figure out what's going on in the economy. So we've been aggregating things like auto fuel sales from regional gas distribution companies, uh, data on weekly unemployment insurance claims that are new filings. Uh, and what we're trying to do is pick, put together a picture of all of these sort of data sets that you can get on a weekly basis so that a business owner can see that, track it over, over weeks and months to determine uh, the rate of, the, the rate of you know, down, uh, the downslide and the, uh, hopefully the, the bottom and the upturn again. Uh, with a with a standard set of indicators. So that's the, the first thing we put out. Uh, yesterday, we pushed out a new platform to try to help identify where there are small independent re retailers who are still in business around the region. And uh, we launched something called keepbrshopping.com yesterday with some partners. Uh, and the hope is like what's been happening in the restaurant world is we have a way to help people know when a store is open, where they can go and do buy online, pick up in store measures, uh, which has been the the new way to try to to get out uh, your your inventory, uh, and there is not an equivalent for Yelp. You know, for a lot of these small retailers, you can't go and find the menu and get takeout from somebody who's selling tennis shoes. So you've got to figure out a way to get that information out to the community. Uh, the third big thing we've been on for for about a week now has been a way to try to help uh, those companies who are actually hiring right now to identify uh, some of the folks that are uh, furloughing workers or laying off workers and, and matchmaking the HR representatives to try to, to pick up those workers where they can uh, from some of the folks who are furloughing workers and try to be that intermediary resource to help folks find labor. Adam, this is Peter. I, I wanted to ask you, you sometimes hear business people say that when you go through a disaster or a, a big downturn like this, you want to come out stronger at the other end. Uh, what do you tell businesses uh, for to get that kind of uh, and end here. I mean, do you tell them that it's a good time to remodel or how do you tell them to keep their business out into the front of mind for people when you're not technically open? Yeah. You know, Peter, I think this, I'd be interested to hear what your other guests say on this question. I think we would be, uh, from what we're hearing from our employers, they're mostly focused on their people right now. And I think keeping teams together that the strength of so many companies is the people that they've been able to assemble and in a period where they may be uh, you know, having folks disparate or remote or even having, you know, some tough choices to make about furloughing. I think those are the things they're, they're worrying about is making sure that they can reassemble their teams when the upswing begins. Uh, we've had folks who have told us that national economists who believe that once this comes out, you know, I hope this is an optimistic view, there will be a uh, kind of a hoppy, hockey stick upswing of the economy where a lot of pent-up demand is urgently needing to be met rapidly. And so a lot of companies who can be making sure that they have the teams in place to be able to, to catch that, that swing when, when uh, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. Adam, that's tough, you know, because we're in South Louisiana. A lot of people have never seen a hockey stick, but that's I right. think it's, uh, right. I, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, the, uh, football is not a great, you know, visual <laughs> metaphor. <unfortunately>. Wrong shape. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, Adam, you were the director of policy for LED and um, at one point, and I'm just wondering, behind the scenes, are you still uh, out there pitching companies? Uh, do you, you must have a lot of deals that were kind of halfway through. What do you do on that side? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. We have uh, been contacting all of our prospects that we were in touch with, you know, a month ago, uh, and on a case by case basis, talking to them or their site consultant about what's their decision time frame, how it's been affected. Obviously, a number have been put on pause or canceled uh, until they see global demand pick up again. Uh, but we still have uh, a, a, a. We went through a project review list uh, last week and saw the number of prospects who their time frame for a decision is going to be long enough that they're still preparing a decision that still may not be finalized for a year or two uh, out. So they, they, we are this week doing a virtual site tour for a prospect uh, in metro uh, in the metro region and trying to coordinate how to put that together. Uh, we had a, another project we're trying to work with LED right now to make sure that we can get uh, an incentive package finalized uh, for what that could look like for an expansion project. So all this continues. Uh, the, Peter, I think the focus we've been doing is to make sure that we're focusing more on existing business, not on new coming business, uh, and that our whole team really is almost save one person has been redeployed to outreach to existing companies to talk to them about their experience and how we can help them right now. You said that you know you guys are putting together some indicators to try and figure out what the bottom of the economy could look like. Another trying trying to track with the available data what the curve is for economic productivity in, in the region. And you know something that strikes me is that it's really hard for us to even figure out what's happening with the virus itself. So are you guys able to track do you, with any confidence what, what that bottom is going to look like? Have you found an indicator that you feel fairly confident will tell you what the shape of all this actually looks like? So no, not yet. And I think that's part of the challenge is, is you get the question from folks in media who want to understand the economic impact so far. And it's just not a, not a thing. You, we, at least we can see a good way to put a, a finger on. What we want to do instead is try to give people a picture of economic activity in a weekly snapshot that lets you know what's happening right now in the economy and hopefully by doing so give them tools to be able to assess uh, the overall progression of the economy and so you think about auto fuel sales that would has very little to do with what we would normally think about at BRAC but this is perhaps a way uh, for us to be able to show what you, what a year ago was auto fuel sales in Baton Rouge is down by 30 percent this week uh, and let's see if it goes down to 35% or starts to swing it back up again to 25%. So that hopefully gives, it, gives us a, a way to model the, the sort of the overall amount of economic and, and civic activity. Adam, real quick before we let you go, what's, what is the mood that you're hearing from the business people that you're talking to, you know, today, this week, now with the CARES Act passed, uh, now with the quarantine extended through April, what, what's the vibe in Baton Rouge? You know, so far on our calls uh, last week and this week, uh, we've still been hearing companies um, focused, optimistic, trying to work through the, the early days of this. So I don't know that we have a good sense of, of their concerns, but my kids in the background. The, uh, so I think that so far they're still very much focused on uh, kind of productive decision making for them and their teams. Uh, and the CARES Act gives them quite a lot of uh, things they've got to sort through in terms of their business decision making that they're all focused on right now. It's still early sledding and trying to figure out the rules of what's going on for, for the, uh, the Payroll Protection Act. Sure. Well, Adam, I know you have a lot going on, and thank you so much for joining us today on Out to Lunch. Adam Knapp is the president and CEO of the Baton Rouge Area Chamber. Adam, good luck out there. Thank you for having me. You're listening to a special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana with Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge 
Peter Rashidi in New Orleans, and I'm Christian Mader here in Lafayette. In Acadiana, Lafayette is often referred to as the hub city, and that's generally because Lafayette is the economic hub of the region. About 600,000 Acadiana residents shop in Lafayette or come here to do business. It's a city that reaches well beyond its borders. And once you figure in the oil and gas industry that pays about 800 million annually in local wages alone, plus the tech sector, the medical sector, and manufacturing, including one of the biggest jewelry manufacturers in the country, the economic impact of shutting down Lafayette rivals New Orleans and Baton Rouge. The Lafayette Economic Development Authority is one of the key agencies in charge of making sure Lafayette's economy hums along. Most of us around here call it LIDA. And LIDA has played an important role in coordinating the region's response to the economic crisis caused by the coronavirus. Greg Gotro is the president and CEO of LIDA and has led the organization for more than two decades. Um, you know, Greg, you guys, I understand, have been a big part of an effort to, to really understand what businesses are experiencing. And you, you put out a survey and had a lot of folks call. So I'm uh, I respond to it. So I'm really curious what you're hearing from businesses. What are some major themes that you guys are picking up? And are they really localized to the experience of business in Acadiana? Yes, we uh, surveyed about a thousand businesses. These were volunteer surveys on their part over a period of a week. And we came up with strong indications that 73% said that their business was going to be affected negatively, drastically negatively. And then 35% said they were going to lay off work. So it's pretty obvious that people are uh, looking to try to keep employees on as long as possible. Try, uh, one local company basically furloughed its people for three weeks with full pay. I don't know how that how long that can go on, but that certainly is a statement about uh, our culture here. So, uh, I mean, that's a staggering number to think about, even when you're looking at a volunteer survey, right? I mean, 35% of those businesses expect that they're going to lay somebody off. So, so what are you guys doing to prepare for that? Obviously, some of that hasn't happened all at once, but um, you know, we don't really know how long we're going to be in the fit of the pandemic. So, um, what what are we doing to make sure that we can kind of blunt as much as we can, the effect of that. Right. Well, we launched a website and we're participating through the 311, which is a, a Lafayette direct line for LCG, Lafayette Consolidated Government. And the website is lafayette.org slash COVID. The 311 line is um, you simply press two if you're a business owner or an employee that needs work and you reach one of 10 or 15 of our employees who are sitting and taking calls. So we walk people through, in essence, the process of either going through the unemployment process, and we just released a really nice chart today that gives you all the alternatives on social media. And we also talk to business owners, about 50-50 in the calls. Yesterday, we had 156 calls that we handled in a, in a four-hour period. And all of them have the same theme. It's uh, when, what's going to happen to me? How can I get assistance? And so we're pointing people in the right direction, whether they need a job. We have uh, Lafayette.org slash help wanted. If they need assistance otherwise, you know, we put a film together with our allies in economic development in the region. And Heidi Malanson, the head of our SBA, SBDC program, has so far just on our sites 
She's had over 24,000 views of that 46 minute video. And so we're doing everything we can to get the word out on how to take advantage of anything that might happen because that might be just a little thing that takes us over the hump. Greg, as Christian mentioned, the oil and gas sectors is really centered there in Lafayette where you are. What are people in the industry there saying and projecting out? Because, you know, as focused as everyone has been on the pandemic and on the small business implications and on the layoffs and on and on, I don't think a lot of people yet outside of maybe Lafayette have focused on like the dire implications of these plummeting oil prices. This is something we haven't seen in in decades. I mean, this is bad. Yes, 1986 and then 1999. These prices compared to those days, uh, this is absolutely a catastrophe for the industry. And in my opinion, for the country, and this is a, a big thought from a little place, but if we don't, as I think when this is all over, we are going to become much more, much of the nation isolationist. And I feel like if we don't address energy independence, medical independence and manufacturing independence, we will have not learned anything. And um, those, those uh, areas of the economy are basically the backbone of Acadiana's economy. And we're suffering. There's no doubt about it. Oil and gas, the one-two punch basically is um, demand, worldwide demand is cut considerably, combined with the price war going on between Russia and Saudis. And um, that puts us at historic lows. And Greg, uh, you are, in fact, fighting two wars at the same time. So uh, congratulations. You're actually in, having a tougher time than the other two guests in a way. Um, you know, I've been through these cycles in the oil business. And one of the things that always got me was they try to keep people on. You mentioned three weeks paid furlough and such. Um, but if companies have told me that what, what's worse than having the phone not ring and having no business is when the other side comes along and you're getting a lot of business and you have to turn it down because you don't have the skilled workers. I mean, they've been through these cycles before. What do you tell them? I mean, they can't afford to keep paying people forever. That's right, Peter. And, you know, the economy, the oil economy has been cyclical. And so the average age of an oil field worker, the last time we went through this was over 50. I think this time around, we had gained traction in the workforce in, this, in the workforce because of the fact that so many programs were put in place to bring people up to speed in the oil industry uh, skill sets uh, that lend themselves favorably to other industry, but are a little specialized. So I think what we've done is create a mechanism through our community colleges, which really didn't exist the last time we went through this in 1986, that can get people up and running, you know, people up and trained quickly and businesses up and running more quickly. That's the bright side. And I, I think you mentioned that these are very skilled folks that are out there. It's not our vision of what the oil field looked like, you know, 50 years ago. Um, what about... Uh, trying to find diverse ways in the economy to keep the workforce. I'll tell you one thing, Greg, that you know better than anyone is that people in Acadiana don't want to leave. No, uh, we, we obviously lead the uh, country 
in people that are born here that want to stay here forever for all their lives and thereafter. So it's amazing to me uh, how we are so resilient. We've got businesses that are immediate. We did a seminar done by four businesses that have immediately taken, taken their business online. They're making money. They're surviving. It's a matter of survival right now. You don't have to get rich, obviously. It's just a matter of trying to survive long enough to see the end of this. We track the economy very closely through our economic performance index. We know our high and our low in the last 20 years. Uh, we take 16,000 data points, combine them into several indicators. Those indicators keep track of our economy. We are able to tell you where we're at in the next quarter. We'll be able to tell you where we were here and, and so forth. So uh, we'll be able to keep track of what's going on and hopefully we can just do enough from the government side to keep people afloat. I'd like to, to ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are working to unpack or sift through what the CARES Act is going to mean that the $2 trillion federal stimulus and, you know, something that I haven't been able to really wrap my brain around just yet is how uh, the structure of the bill would say um, meet the problem in Acadiana where it is, namely to, to the extent that the bill might target or have benefits directly for the oil and gas industry. Have you guys really started to get a handle on, on, on how this might uh, help those firms specifically uh, get back on their feet? We've got a task force of business leaders, political leaders, staff members who are obviously well-qualified, CPAs, attorneys, economists, et cetera, that are analyzing the package. The proof's in the pudding. What, when the rules are written, that's really when we're going to know uh, what we can do. And so if you look at our social media, we're putting out what Senator Cassidy says. We're putting out what uh, our congressman's going to say in the town hall meeting, even the even Garrett Craig's uh, seminar coming up. We're making sure that everybody gets to see that, you know, and try to be as informed, informed as possible. But really, you don't know till you know. And so on our website, we put what's been vetted and what's been proven. And so until it gets there, um, you're not going to know the truth because we're only going to put that up when somebody says, these are the rules, here are the forms, go. Greg Gotro is the president and CEO of the Lafayette Economic Development Authority. Greg, thanks so much for joining us on Out to Lunch. You're listening to a special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana with Christian Mader in Lafayette, Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge, and I'm Peter Rashidi in New Orleans. In New Orleans, our last total economic collapse wasn't all that long ago. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina brought the city to a standstill. A large part of New Orleans' economic recovery from that shutdown was driven by a Louisiana state initiative. It was called Katrina Small Business Recovery Program. And that program was headed up by Michael Hecht. Michael is now president and CEO of an organization called Greater New Orleans Incorporated, a kind of supercharged chamber of commerce. Michael, I know you're self-deprecating about your role in saving New Orleans after Katrina, but a lot of people credit you personally with saving small business in the city. Today, we're looking for someone to tell us what to do to save small business in Louisiana and beyond. So Michael, this is no time for modesty. Do you have an idea for a grand plan that could save small business 
that is shut down? Uh, yeah, cash. Um, look, the experience, Peter, well, thanks for having me today. And it's great to be here with my, my good friend, Greg, and my cousin, Adam. Um, the reason that I, that I have all this experience is that it goes back to when I was actually a small business owner or a restaurant owner. My first disaster was the dot-com crash of 2001. And we were in San Francisco and we saw our revenues drop 40% year on year. Uh, then my next one, of course, was, was 9-11, where I ended up running the small business assistance program for New York City under Mayor Bloomberg, then came down and did something analogous, but on a much bigger scale for the state uh, in Katrina, and, and now this. And, and I guess what I'm telling people is that um, we've been to this rodeo before. This is just a different bull, but the riding technique is the same. And for any small business that, depending on who you talk to, is usually running on two to four weeks of working capital. Uh, clearly what businesses need um, is, is cash. And that's never been more true than, than in this particular disaster, where it's not a physical event like, like Katrina. It's not a market shock like 2008. This is basically uh, a recession by fiat in order to beat the virus. Um, and so the analogy that I'm using and the way I think about it is that, is that small businesses and most businesses are almost like, and this might be a little bit over the top, but I don't think it is, like a drowning victim that has been pulled from a pool and the body is still warm, but the heart needs to be restarted. So we're applying economic CPR. And if we do that now and we do that vigorously enough, then the body is going to keep the blood flowing through it. And when the heart restarts, everything's going to be fine. But if we wait too long before we apply CPR, then the body's going to start to die. And then when the heart restarts, uh, there's going to be brain damage and body damage. So the Paycheck Protection Program, I think, is the most um, most flexible, most direct, and potentially most impactful program that I've seen in, in all my litany of disasters, and really for two reasons. Uh, the first is that it's using banks to give out the money, not intermediaries and not the SBA, so it's going to be faster for obvious reasons. The SBA is not built to do this, and banks know who you are, have your checking account. The second is this forgivable portion which is a totally new innovation, even I hadn't dared think about that, that's a strong incentive for business owners to spend the money on employees and keeping their doors open. Um, and since you get eight weeks forgiven, it might just be enough to bridge a lot of businesses to the other side. Michael, uh, one of the things that differs, and by the way, you've been incredibly unlucky in your life now that I think about it, I'm here listening. Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would, do not stand around me. Don't walk under my ladder. <laughs> Learn. I'm glad we're doing this remotely. Absolutely. They, um, this differs from the, from the other disasters in that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. These others, I uh, mentioned Katrina, and I, you didn't really know how it was going to resolve itself. How do you face this? Why is it different? Um, you're right. This one is, is, is different. And to some degree, it feels like the economic shock of 9-11, but on a much you know, larger scale, uh, combined with um, the, the, the immediate shutdown of revenues of, of Katrina. Um, I think that this is one where, again, we know that we have to get people to the other side and that if we actually get them to the other side, not only will they make it, but there's going to be enormous pent-up demand. Just in hospitality alone, uh, we're actually booked out through the end of the year, starting with the fall. So we've got to get people there. Uh, it's a liquidity crisis. And in that way, it's different than like the banking crisis of 2008. So all of these efforts uh, at the federal level to just flood cash into the market, whether it's the Paycheck Protection Program 
or whether it's 1200 bucks to individuals or whether it's enhanced unemployment it's it's a very you know blunt instrument but uh it's the way to go because right now again we just got to get keep the blood flowing until the heart starts uh, on its own which you know could be in 4 weeks but it could be a, you know a bit longer than that yeah. And Michael, your analogies make make great sense. And there's been so much focus on the small businesses, but I'm glad you mentioned hospitality because that's such a lifeline to New Orleans. And from what we're reading, nobody really knows the trajectory of this pandemic. So even if commerce is able to restart in one month or two months, it seems like some sort of social distancing is going to be part of our protocols for a long time. And what does that mean for an industry like hospitality in New Orleans, where you've got conventions, hotels, big events, Jazz Fest scheduled now for September optimistically. How realistic is this? And what are the hospitality folks thinking as they plan out? Are they just crossing their fingers and booking conventions for the fall? You're totally right, Stephanie, that you know, much like 9-11 changed everything, this is going to change everything. Uh, we are going to get back to work, but we're going to get back to work in a new normal with new protocols and new procedures. And it might mean that there's some type of distancing or some type of metering, uh, certainly, you know, in the short term. And that might have a depressive effect on on revenues because the density is, is not going to be there. So um, that is a consideration. Another consideration that I'm hearing about um, that's a real one, particularly for restaurants and hotels is, the Paycheck Protection Program is designed to get cash to employees to keep them employed. And it's going to do that pretty well, potentially. But the challenge is, what happens if you have your best employees, a shiny new restaurant that you've been cleaning for four weeks, but no customers, right? Because people are not traveling yet or because of these social distancing issues. And so there also is a tension with businesses between keeping their employees, keeping their doors open, which they want to do, and preserving cash. And so one of the conversations that I'm having right now with a lot of businesses is the Paycheck Protection Program is attractive because the loan is forgiven. But on the other hand, it's only forgiven if you spend the money. And so if you want to actually preserve cash because you don't know the trajectory, then maybe a traditional SBA, EIDL, or 7A loan or other might make more sense, even though you're going to carry it as debt, but potentially for a long time. So there's a whole lot of modeling, a whole lot of intuition and unfortunately, the old cliche is true. You've got to kind of uh, expect the best, but plan for the worst right now as a small business owner. So you mentioned that the secret here is cash. Cash is king. Cash is king. Are we giving them enough of it? And, and are the right people going to get it? I mean, something that we're hearing a lot are businesses or you know, maybe even contractors or employees who are really confused about where to go, how to get it, whether they qualify. I mean, we're even hearing that Congress, right? might already be contemplating some other type of package. I mean, do we have enough new liquid in the market? So the two, two parts to that question. Um, the Mnuchin uh, and the White House are saying that the rules are going to be promulgated and they want cash out by the end of this week. I have no idea how that's going to work. But what I can tell you is once the rules are promulgated from Treasury or SBA to the banks and CDFIs, then I think information will flow very well because you or I are going to go to our bank that we use for our business and they actually have delegated authority to tell you what is what. So I think information flow will happen as well as it could possibly happen in a situation like this. But then you ask if it's enough. Look, my guess is that the $350 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program uh, is not going to be enough. And we might end up seeing one or two more rounds of it where the total amount goes up to over a trillion dollars. Because if this thing works like it's meant to, then there mathematically is not enough for all the businesses and nonprofits 
that can take advantage of this around the country, which includes, by the way, uh, independent contractors and, and gig workers, too. It's very inclusive. It's, it's Stephanie uh, had written a really interesting piece this week about um, you know how these banks are sort of bracing for impact. I mean, are we really certain that banks have the personnel capacity to manage all of the people that are going to be coming to hit them up for money right now? Oh, no, it's a great look. I mean, the SBA has been very clever. They've taken their capacity problem and they've delegated it down to the banks. Now, the good news is that there's 75,000 bank branches about around the country. So there's a lot more just physical capacity and more people. But no, banks are not set up for this type of surge. And so I've heard of banks creating online portals to try to kind of meter people coming in. Um, but there might be some banks that just say, no mas, I'm not going to do this because they don't feel that they can do it uh, effectively. Um, but I think that you're going to see a lot of banks, particularly those that are already SBA preferred lenders that kind of know the rhythm and know how to work with the SBA. They're going to jump on this first and foremost, because they want to keep pumping the hearts of their, of their customers. They don't want their customers' businesses to, to go away. So there's a real kind of a, you know, alignment of interest in this, but no, you're right. Uh, this is a totally new thing for the entire country and it's not going to go um, completely without, without hiccups. And Michael, some of the banks I was talking to over the weekend were, were saying, you know, we're still trying to figure out the rules and exactly how this is all going to work, the paperwork and procedures. Are they going to actually be fronting the loan money out of their own deposit base? I mean, it's coming from them and they're just trusting the SBA is going to reimburse them in short order? Yeah. Or are they strictly the processor? No, no, no. You're, you're right. So there's two key elements of trust that have to work here. Okay. The first is that the SBA is backing up the banks 100%. In other words, totally de-risking the deal in theory. Um, the banks have to believe that the SBA is, is going to do that. Okay. Then the second thing is that they are lending off their own balance sheets. It's their own bank's capital. So when the eight weeks is forgiven, they then need to be reimbursed by the feds, by the SBA. So they have to believe that the SBA is not going to come in and audit alone and say, oh, you technically did something wrong. We're not going to pay you back. So there is a degree of trust and risk there as well. And then I guess finally, as the business owner, you have to believe that this whole forgiveness deal is actually going, going to work. So um, there are elements of trust and interdependencies here, but it is the key thing. And the reason why it will work at all is that it's banks lending their own capital. Michael, this differs from the other disasters that you, you know, did such a great job on in another way, and that is the fact that it's not the the bulk of it isn't in one particular region of the country. This is worldwide. You know, after Katrina, we got you know a lot of sympathy. People sent us money and everything else. Everybody's going through it now. Yeah, it's different, and I think it's it, it's more than that. I was thinking, Peter, about this. This is probably the first event in the history of of the world that the entire globe has experienced together and really on somewhat equal footing. This isn't even different than a war, which still was regional and had kind of different sides. Everybody is, is going through this. And so, no, we're not going to have the slingshot effect that we had after Katrina, where the rest of the country was back on its heels because of the recession, which we missed. You know, we didn't have our houses go upside down with our mortgages because we didn't have houses. And it also is not going to be a situation where we received $140 billion of stimulus and the others, others didn't. So, you know, our competitive advantage coming out of this is going to be how well we pivot, how we are more resilient faster than other places around the country, and how we come up with products and services that others need. And that could be everything 
from products that are medical products. And we have companies now pivoting to do things like making PPE uh, to even uh, medical breakthroughs. You got to remember that Tulane, uh, which, you know, where, where you work, uh, was key in helping to beat Ebola. And they've got actually some great science and in infectious disease. It's why Tulane was founded, the medical school anyway. And so we're likely to play a key role in coming up with the therapeutic uh, treatment or the vaccine um, for, uh, for coronavirus. So no, this is very different. And not only are we going through it with everybody else, but we have the added impact of what Greg was talking about, which is uh, you know, a total cratering of the oil market. So um, very different dynamics. What I feel good about, and I think everybody here would agree with, is that there's no place in the country that is more emotionally and kind of experientially equipped to deal with this than Southern Louisiana. We come together, we don't panic. And even while we're trying to kind of like land the plane, we're still trying to build a better plane. It's just like second nature for us now. Michael Hecht is president and CEO of Greater New Orleans Incorporated. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Out to Lunch Louisiana. Yeah, thank you so much, Peter, Stephanie, Christian, and my good friends, Adam and Greg. Thank you, everybody. Take care. And thank you for joining us for this special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana. We edited these conversations to fit into the time slot here on your NPR radio station. You can hear longer versions of these conversations wherever you normally get your Out to Lunch podcast. If you're not an Out to Lunch podcast subscriber, search for Out to Lunch, Out to Lunch Baton Rouge, or Out to Lunch Acadiana on your podcast app. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical director is Eric Merle. Photos from the show on our website and social media are taken by Jill LaFleur. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mater in Lafayette. And in New Orleans, I'm Peter Raschuti. We'll see you here next week for more Out to Lunch Louisiana. Until then, if you're in an essential industry and still going to work, thank you and remember to take care of yourself. If you're not going to work, Please stay home and stay safe. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.